Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Simplify Podcast. My name is Scott Hilsey. Now, this podcast is brought to you by myself. If you would like a free trial of Shopify, as well as a free Shopify course in which I will teach you how to build, launch, and advertise your very own e-commerce store completely for free, I literally have nothing to sell you, and that course used to be $500, and now I'm just giving it away. So go to simplifydropshipping.com to claim those offers and support this podcast by supporting yourself and starting your very first e-commerce store today. Now, on to the podcast. Sebastian, this has been a long time coming, for real. <laughs> yeah, happened in Missouri almost once. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the third attempt we've had at a podcast in the past f- five minutes, but now it's all good. We're all set up. We're in North Scottsdale, Arizona, at a non-specified location. <laughs> but we're in a we're in a badass warehouse. And yeah, I'm excited to do this podcast because we've been chatting about it for a while. It almost happened once, but we've only done that one podcast at Noah Tucker's house. Yeah, but I don't think anyone, how many people have watched that one? A couple thousand. Really? Yeah, surprisingly. (laughs) That was an interesting one. (laughs) Yeah, that was a very unexpected podcast for those who saw that. Like, we did not know we were going to go do a podcast. That was the first time I met you. Yeah. We, We just. We had just met. We just figured it out. I can't remember if we met at that townhouse or if we met somewhere beforehand. No, I picked you up. You picked That's me up what in the BMW. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I feel like I've met you before then. Yeah. I really feel like I did. I remember being in Malibu and I was like looking at you and it was so weird because it was, it felt like I was looking through a screen because I've seen you on like YouTube so much, especially with like how cameras are. It's like focused down on you and it's like kind of blurred in the background, uh-huh. similar to how the eyes do that, especially in like that type of sunlight. But yeah, that was a that was a fire trip. Like, have you ever considered moving to Los Angeles at any point in your life? Yeah, when I was seventeen. Yeah, and did I you? I wanted to. No, never moved there. What made you want to like move there back then? Um, I just I wanted to be around money and luxury, luxury, and that LA was like the like the the epitome of money and luxury at the time. Uh, so at the time, was Arizona pretty wealthy, or is, has this been like a recent boom? No, Arizona was good, but. I, yeah, in the last five years, Arizona's gotten has really popped off. Like the construction and all the, there's a lot of new restaurants, a lot of new things to do, a lot of people moving here with a lot of money, a lot of cars. But it's it's always been pretty good. But recently, it's gotten really good because people that are leaving from California are coming here right. and stuff. Yeah, I'm so. sure. I'm sure. Like you've seen the development like crazy because you moved here when you were 12, right? Mm-hmm. And then where were you before that? Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan, mm-hmm. for all 12 years. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I didn't know you. I didn't know you had spent that much time in Detroit. Yeah, what it was, was that a, like? in a little town called Ann Arbor or Ypsilanti. We moved around, but Ypsilanti was where I spent a good majority of my childhood. Ann Arbor. That sounds like a place I'd be on the ocean or the lake. Was it on like a big lake? It wasn't. No. I mean, there's lakes all over Michigan, but it wasn't any of the one of the five Great Lakes. It was it a pretty small town. Um, not Ann Arbor. Ypsilanti was yeah, pretty ghetto area. Yeah. What brought your parents over there? Because they came from. Romania, right? Yeah, so Romania, so Romanians congregate, and so they moved together out of Romania, and they moved to a few different cities. And when that all happened, like 20, 30 years ago, um, they picked a few cities, and Detroit was one of them. California, Riverside was one of them. Chicago is a huge one. Orlando, Florida, um, even Atlanta has a Romanian community. And then ever since then, they've trickled into cities everywhere, but they just moved together in Detroit because my dad was doing uh, trucking and construction. So there was, ah. op- there was opportunity in Detroit. 
and there was a lot of Romanians there already, so they wanted to be, they wanted to stick together. Do you ever think about going back to, like, you've been to Romania, right? I haven't. You haven't been to Romania. No. What's stopping you? Uh, I'm going to go very soon with either my mom or my girl. Gotcha. So, yeah, I, I do want to go because I feel like it's not right that I haven't been there. Right. I'm shocked that you didn't go when you're, like, traveling for, like, a month. Before. Yeah, I, well, I was traveling on this side of the world, but when I went to London, it was for business, and I, um, I didn't have time to explore Europe. So you've never really done international travel at all? Only in London. Wow. Yeah, and then Canada and Mexico and Hawaii and stuff on this side, but yeah, only London on, in the European, European area. So I was talking to you about how I might like go to a bunch of countries for a while. Like, do you ever see yourself doing something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. When, when do you think you would? I, so I've been saving that because I could have gone on a Europe trip, and I, I've, I've procrastinated it purposely because I want to go with uh, the girl of my dreams. Yeah. Yeah, because I want to experience all of that for the first time with her. That's a great point. Uh, Jay Rich just messaged me. Uh, when I, it's funny, I posted a picture of Scottsdale, and I was like, interesting place. And he responded, he goes, he's, he's like, uh, bro, why are you still in the States or something like that? He's like, you got to go and explore internationally. And I think it's that exact thing. It's just like, it's one thing to go on international travel with yourself. It's one thing to go on international travel with like your buddy. And it's a whole different thing to go on an international travel session with like a girl you really care about. So, I mean, such as him, I mean, he's, he went with his wife. Yeah. And so like, especially like even just having someone there with you, like it's kind of like the buddy system because some crazy stuff can go down on international overseas. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's an, ex it's a, it's an amazing experience, obviously. And it's going to be a lot of new information and a lot of beautiful sights to see. And anything that makes like experiences can be so much more amazing d depending on who you're doing them with. So if you're, if you're doing something like if you're in Switzerland and you're doing it with somebody that is really annoying that you hate, it's going to ruin everything, right? Cause they're going to drag you down. And it's the opposite if you're doing it with someone that you like are deeply in love with. So I want to save that experience with her. So with that yeah. girl, so I'm just waiting. It, yeah. That's what I realized about like, um, certain trips and certain places I moved to, I would say like a city, it's probably like 20% the city and 80% the people that you're experiencing that city with. Yeah. When they, when in, in terms of a whole experience and, um, I think it's really important to remember that like when going places, cause you're right. It's like one bad fight with one bad person can put a taint. Like we went to a restaurant last night, guys, and we had reservations at 1015. And then by like, we didn't get seated to like 1050. And then they seated us next to like this loud ass speaker and everything. And then that tainted my entire perception of that restaurant. Even though the restaurant seems like super good, it tainted it. And the same thing can happen with anything. You know, it can happen with a specific business. It can happen with a specific location. It can happen on anything. So it's amazing how like the factor, how like how we think of certain things, a lot of how we think about that is, is based on factors outside of that location or thing in itself. Yeah like a first impression mm -hmm. yeah so when you came over to to arizona did you, you still remember that like that's probably when your memories were really starting to get ingrained yeah i remember it very what well. was the transition like um it was i don't i mean it was interesting it was it was new i didn't really have a say in it obviously i was 12 right. or 11 or 12. my mom moved here because all, a lot of her side of the family lives here and a lot of my dad's side of the family lives in michigan mm. So she wanted to be closer with all her brothers and sisters, and I had to just get close with all my cousins here. I have cousins everywhere, but 
it was a, it was an interesting transition, but I it was great. I loved it. Like Arizona was cool from the get go. It was just Arizona culturally is a little bit like further ahead. Like it's faster, so I had to catch up. And then once I did, it was fine. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of the Romanians, the Romanians, they put a lot of emphasis on family. Yeah. I've noticed, and huge families. Like, we were talking, how many cousins do you think you have? <laughs> okay, if we're talking just cousins based off my grandma and my grandma and their kids and all of their kids, probably, like, I want to say, like, 50 50 cousins. Yeah, just like blood blood cousins that I could call up and they know who I am and it's like, what's good? And then cousins like through like marriage or like just related to through marriage or just cousins of that sort, hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds. A lot of them. um, (laughs) Because your your cousin Robert, you're saying he has 16 brothers and sisters, right? one of 17, yeah. So what is it about like the, the, the Romanians that... It seems really consistent. Large family, lots of love. Seventeen's an outlier. <laughs> oh, it is. Seventeen is an outlier. Yeah, most families don't have seventeen. Well, I mean, um, yeah, not that much, but <laughs> yeah. it seems like you guys have like big families. Yeah, like five, four to five is is like standard all day. Like entering, that's like starting territory mm-hmm. for families. Um, what was your question about it? I was saying, what is it about the Romanian culture that puts so much emphasis on the family? Because like. I feel like in the United States right now, we're seeing like less and less importance on the family structure, specifically like the nuclear family. So what is it about your culture that you guys just keep doubling down? And I love that. Like when you're driving through your property and talking about how like you can't wait to start a family and everything, that is so rare for like people our age who's making the money like you're making for to say that like a lot of these people they just want to go to Miami. They just want to party, live yeah. it up. So it seems like how you were raised is very pure. So it's interesting that you say that. Let me let me answer both your questions. So where does it come from in our culture? I think so. First of all, I think it's worth mentioning that more intel, like more intelligent, more financially stable, uh, and competent people have less children. That's one thing. So Romania is a pretty poor country. Uh, and then it's another thing. To, it's another thing worth mentioning that we're not just Romanian, because like there are Romanians that don't have a lot of kids. Um, we're we're Christian and strict Christian oh. Romanians. So the family comes from the Bible, and that's why I think that's more where it comes from more than the fact that we're just Romanians. There's plenty of Romanians that don't have a lot of kids. Gotcha. So it's the fact that we're Romanian and Christian. Uh, grew up poor, so our mentality is to have a bigger family and family is everything, and we stick together, um, and we need to support each other and help each other and like it's the most important thing to life you take that and then you add christianity and all of those values into yep. the cocktail and then you just have a drink of 10 kids you know yeah. that's what you get um so to answer that that's where i believe it comes from um and then what was the second question i forgot the second question is i basically stated how it's amazing to hear you talk about how you're excited to start a family and everything because you're 23 right yeah. Um, when most people your age making the ton of money you're making would, again, just want to move to Miami and just party and just, like, and stuff. do all that stuff. Like, your 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 importance and your, your focus on that is amazing. Yeah, and then you said, like, how I grew up so pure. So, yeah. actually, 
ironically, the reason I want to have a family so bad is because I didn't have one growing up. Mm -hmm. So the, I didn't have like a picture perfect family. I had a pretty dark childhood and like my family was not really there for each other. Like we, we weren't like a team at all. So obviously my parents are divorced. So my dad's pretty much out of the picture. Um, and then my mom was constantly working and then I'm the youngest of four. So I'm five years younger than my next up, my brother, and then they're all like older. So they're always hanging out with older people. How, how old are your next two brothers? So I'm 23. I'm almost 24. My brother's 27 next up. And then the one after that is 28. And then my sister's 30. No, that's weird. I, I don't think you know this about me, but I'm the youngest of four. Okay. My next oldest brother is four years older than me. Uh -huh. The next brother above that is two years older than him. Okay. And the next brother is two years older than him. So very similar. Yeah. So yeah, there is that gap, right? Uh -huh. And that's the reason I want a big family too is because like, you're right, not really there like as you would expect it. And yeah. I don't know if you've noticed it growing up yourself then, but like there is a little bit of a gap. Like they always hung out with their group and right. then you were kind of doing your own thing. Right. I so mean, I was the same way. Yeah. I mean, two of my brothers, I mean, were in college when I was like in the fourth grade, you know, so. Yeah. That's just going to happen. That's just going to happen. Um, I, I never, like I wanted to say, like I never had, they never helped me with my homework. Like if I was sad, they would like, it was very little of that pure family, like brother, sister, brother, brother interaction stuff growing up. It was just not very prevalent or I don't remember if it was. Yeah. I mean, I remember one specific moment. It was the first time I ever experienced death in like this earth like, I didn't, obviously, I heard about it. I was seven at the time, and I never, or eight, I think, but I never really, like, experienced it, and I had a guinea pig, and uh, I feel like this probably shaped my life, like, in a big way, but I remember I woke up one morning. I'd always just be excited to run to my guinea pig and feed it, and I had two, and one was, like, freaking out, and I left the uh, house, and I saw my other guinea pig had died, and I remember eight years old, I just couldn't, like, fathom it, so I just started crying like crazy. Like, I couldn't believe it. And I heard one of my brothers on the right say, like, um, oh, my gosh, Wheezy died. And then my other brother goes, come on, let's get out of here. And so my mom didn't come home for, like, another 30, 40 minutes. So I remember my first time experiencing death, it was just by myself with nobody around. It's terrible. <laughs> just, like, 30, 40 minutes of me just sitting there, like, in the most misery I've ever experienced. <laughs> Do you wish your brothers, like, consoled you about it? Yeah, I would say so. So it's funny when you're like, they never helped me with my homework. And I'm like, I had to think about, it. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess like family does do that because that, like that never was like, if anyone, my, my mom would help me with my homework sometimes, but like, uh, no, there's none of that really growing up. Yeah. And that really sucks. And, um, I, I really want to, to try to repair that or try to mend that in my family. Same exact thing. So that's why I want to have a, a really big family. Cause I want to give, um, it's just something I never had. It's like, it's weird. It's more for me. Like I'm doing it because it's something I never had. And I, I want to raise kids and I want them to grow up in that situation that I never grew up in, which was terrible. And I want them to have a great life. And then it, and it's hard because they're going to grow up and have a great life, but they're not going to appreciate it because they never had the life that I did. So to them, that's just what they know. But I'm, I'm still thinking and like trying to figure out a way to give my kids a great life, but also like tell them that this is not like, this is, like, like premium. Like, this is not normal. Like, I've worked very hard for them to have this yeah. so that they can appreciate it without also just, like, rubbing it in their face and being mm -hmm. like, you, like, you know, you should appreciate this because that just ruins everything. Yeah. So it's hard, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to create this perfect idea of a family. It's a balancing but act. The term I use is, like, a SWAT team. 
like wife by my side and then kids behind us. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're all working together. Like you're never going to hear me talk bad about my kids or my wife. And if, and same goes for like my wife and my kids, my wife would never say anything bad about me. And my kids would, if asked about their parents would say, I, I love my parents. They're amazing. Yeah. So, that's crazy how similar we are. Cause that's the same reason. Like I think, I mean, that's the same reason I know I want to start a big family is cause, cause you said like you didn't have, well, you have like 50 cousins was the thing. I have one cousin. That's the crazy thing. I have three bro- older oh. brothers and one cousin. And so one, <coughs> one day about five years ago, I was thinking about it. And I was like, okay, my three older brothers, they may not have any kids at all. I don't have any cousins. And the one cousin I do have has, doesn't have the Hilsey last name. So the Hilsey last name comes down to me. There's no one else. There's nobody else. So I better not have six women. I mean, six, six, uh, six <laughs> girls, I mean. I mean, I at least one male who's going to, like, keep it going. But ideally, when you ask, if you ask, like, what I see myself being fulfilled with, it's going to be a picture of me at 101 uh, with my wife next to me and then, like, six to eight of my direct kids right below me and then, uh, I don't know, like, 10 to 20 of their children, my grandchildren, and then possibly... If I'm living that old, maybe another like 10 or 20 grand, great grandchildren. And that picture, like I see that picture in my head already and it's so vivid. Mm. And I know for sure that's what's going to bring fulfillment, not, you know, $200 million in the bank. And I'm just an old guy, you know, yeah. family, it's all family is fulfillment. Like people are so lost now because the destabilization of what family is in America is like so lost and it's so like you need this it's so consumer driven and like the the lack of family is what's really causing a lot of issues i would agree with that 100 percent. and so like i think that's where a lot of people who feel lost can find fulfillment because it sure found like when i figured that i was like okay i need a lot of money to do that so i got to make a lot of money in order for this goal and that's the goal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. same here i agree yeah so when you, when you, cause you move here when you're like 12, 13. So it's kind of like a good time too. Cause right before high school was like, what is the high school life in, in Arizona? Like, um, or more like, what were you like in high school? I was a party boy in high school. Well, I changed throughout the years. At first I was, I was, uh, I had like a, I had a group of pretty nerdy friends and I was pretty nerdy myself, like pretty, uh, like overweight, you know, everybody in high school tries to like really work on their appearance. Like that's when it starts. Like how fat were you? I was pretty fat. No way. How, do you remember how many pounds? Um, not at like a specific age. I'll have a picture I could show you after. But Love to like see that. Brown face, like tummy, like boobs, big nipples, like pretty fat. Wow. Um, going, going into high school. And then again, everyone is so like in high school, it's like you start to develop as like your own person. So you care about your appearance a lot. You care about what people say about you. You're extremely like insecure and sensitive about everything. At least for me, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not everyone's like that. Everyone's um, like that. For yeah, sure. probably. So I got, I started to lean out sophomore year and then I made some friends and I started partying sophomore and junior year. And then senior year, I just had like one class. So I just had like my friends and I would go and start hustling and working on my job. So it's kind of nerdy, then party, then work. This is so crazy. Like so my high school, I it was pretty nerdy. Like all we would do is film YouTube videos. Like didn't really care about much. Like especially like at the early part of the high school, and uh, that's just me and my three friends. Like we'd play, we'd make YouTube videos and play video games, right? 
And then I was pretty, I got pretty fat. I got pretty up there, like to 190. And then I got that surgery on my chest. I slimmed down and then I started partying and like having the confidence to like say, talk to girls and everything like that mm-hmm. right around senior year of high school. Mm, so okay. it's, it's really interesting what I'm finding out about you is so similar to. Yeah, we are quite similar, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say the first confident boost was like sophomore summer. Sophomore summer that for you. That was my first ever like taste of like, oh, like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. I yeah. have some girls that look at me, they call me cute. Like people want to be my friend. So did confident. you slim out and then you had that summer or that summer made you slim? Out? No, I, I slimmed out. Confidence came after. It always and, does. Okay, yeah. I'd love to talk about that because that is so clear that there's a direct correlation between, for most people, you know, not 99% of people with confidence and a body, uh, a body appearance. So what the hell is going on nowadays when they're encouraging people? Like, like I get it, be confident in your own skin, but I don't understand the lack of encouragement for encouraging people. The lack of encouragement towards people to being a better version of themselves physically than they are. Like, even both of us, we're in decent shape, but we could always do better, and that's what we are going to the gym for every day. I'm currently in the best shape of my life, and I still am going to go to the gym every single day and eat chicken and rice. Yes. Every single day, because I have a long way to go. Yes. And I still look good compared to, like, the average person, and so do you. and every, Like, we both do. So, yeah, there's a long way to go. Um, I think that promoting weakness is a trend now yeah. and people are comfortable and they want to and, and promoting weakness makes them feel good uh and it's the same people that are depressed and anxious and they don't know why they're depressed and anxious uh and and they're advocating for the promotion of weakness because the promotion of weakness keeps them feeling good and contempt and in reality it's causing their depression but they don't know that because i don't know because nobody told them or because they're stupid one reason or the other but yeah, I think it's just the promotion of weakness yeah. um, and, and body positivity. Look, I'm not saying you should like look at yourself in the mirror and, and hate yourself. Like, I'm not saying that to that extreme, but like you should be pretty close. Like if you're a fat, 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 fat person and you look in the mirror and like in, in, intrinsically, you're just like, wow, I hate the way I look, then change it. Right. Then, then change it. A lot like of people you hate it so much. They hate the way they look and then they just go on like TikTok hashtag body yeah. positivity. But it's like you can be really fat and still be proud of how you look as long as how you look is better than the day before, you know, seeing that progression. If you decide to make a change and then you start noticing results after you you implement like a healthy lifestyle and you're going in the right direction, yeah, absolutely. Be proud of, like, even though I'm still like 50 pounds instead of 100 pounds overweight, be proud of yourself, yeah. absolutely. But if you hate the way you look at yourself, don't blame society and like the norms of society. Like, why do you think there's a reason why men that have muscles are more attractive? And it's like, it, it goes back down to like, why? like it's, it's like an instinct thing. It's like, okay, if a girl sees a guy with muscles, that's a, that's a capable man. Like in case there's danger, like he's strong, he can protect me, he can get me out of it. Like he's athletic. Like that's why those things are attractive. It's not like a recent societal thing. Like you go back however many years and I know people are going to comment in the video and be like, oh, fat people used to be attractive because it was a sign of wealth back then. Yeah. Okay. Well. Not anymore. Like, it, nice. that's not how it was. Like, if a guy was really muscular and he was out there fighting an animal, like, the girls would love that dude because yeah. it's comp- it's competence and they like that. So it's not like a society weird, like, a, I don't know, like an ideology. It's just, like, human instinct. Yeah. You see it, and that's why it's attractive for that reason. And it still is very prevalent today. It pisses yeah. me off so much when I see, like, a obviously very large woman getting... T- 
every comment, body positive. That okay. First of all, that doesn't piss me off. Like everyone's saying, you go girl. But what really pisses me off is when you when there's a fit girl, low body fat, because maybe she's even competing, and all the comments are like, eat something, you twig, da 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 da. And it's the same people saying, eat something, you twig, that are saying, you go, girl, you're perfect to the obviously overweight woman. Yeah. So it's such a backwards it's thing. Delusion. And Absolute I, delusion. I always say to say someone's perfect is the worst disservice you can do for them because, like, we are talking at breakfast. Like, if you someone gave you $100 million, that'd be, like, the worst thing that could happen to you. Yeah. Because there's beauty in the journey, and progression cures depression. So if there's nothing you're progressing at, you're going to become depressed. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And the thing about, and this just to stay on topic with body positivity, like, bro, if, if you are starting at a really bad position, that's even better because you can make such a cool story out of it. You can make such a cool journey. And then when you do get to that point, you can finally like based in all the glory that people give you. And it feels amazing. Be like people, you look so amazing. Like you've changed so much. You're going to get that all the time. And then you just sit there and take it and you're like, thank you. I've worked so hard and it feels so good for people to say that because I went to the gym for a year and like I tried so hard. So thank you so much. And it feels amazing. It feels so good. So like, absolutely. You have even more of a opportunity if you're like super out of shape. Yeah. So, and I've noticed that working out's like the one thing in life you can't outsource. You can outsource pretty much everything, your business, fucking nannies for the kids or like, um, you know, get your, your clothes washed or get your car washed or get your house cleaned. But no one can work your body out for you. So, like, that shows a huge fundamental um, part of, like, you as a person. Yeah. And humans seek, like, struggle and suffering to some degree. So if you have no struggling or suffering in your life, you're going to create your own. That's why you see people that grow up in a perfect lives and they, they create their own problems, like drama or, like, depression or whatever. Like, they'll create their own issues to, like, suffer and struggle through. But if you, um like... Oh, shoot, what was I? If you go to the gym, that's a form of suffering because you're putting yourself through hard work. And if you do it there and you control it there um, and you suffer there, then everything else in life becomes a little bit easier. Yeah. Like the rest of your day is a lot easier. Through getting through work is easier. Talking to people is easier. Choosing your struggle. Yeah, exactly. So you're suffering in a better... And, and you're suffering in something that's even beneficial to you. So right. Like perfect. Yeah, when I first heard that, it made so much sense because when I went to Miami... I remember that's when my, my life has never been easier than my days in Miami. I did not go to the grocery store once. All my food was delivered straight to my door, right? I was filling my brain with dopamine all fucking day. I was making more money than I ever have. And so when I was seeing the girl I was seeing at the time, I noticed like sometimes I would knowingly try to start a fight and I didn't understand why. Like, I would know this, like, as I'm starting it, I'm like, I don't know, like, I'm obviously picking a fight right now, and I don't know why, and sometimes I'd even voice that to her, I'd be like, sorry, like, I, I don't know why, but, like, I just felt like I needed to fight with you, or something like that, and so looking back on those days, like, I made my life so fucking easy that, and I would, I would go to the gym every day, but sometimes I'd work out for, like, 10 minutes, half-ass it, and then come back, you know? Mm. Yeah, just, like, ridiculous, because, like, I just wasn't I don't know everything became so easy that you know I and when I purposely put myself through physical struggle I would like veer away from it because I was getting my dopamine from so many other different places that I wasn't I wasn't 
basically structuring it so that I was getting it from the appropriate places. So like, I always think about that a lot. And I see, see that happen so much where like, especially in very, very successful people, like they will have the worst family life ever. And I think it is because of that, especially like we were talking about that Minecraft guy, like when he made the $3.2 billion, like he lost a lot of friends, he lost his wife, he did all this. And I think it goes back to not having that struggle. Like, what is your struggle? You need struggle. Yeah, and it's a massive respect to you for being able to realize that you were picking a fight with your girl because everything was so easy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like, what did that transition into? That that pushed you into 75 hard because yeah. everything was so easy for you, and you were like, okay, screw this, bro. Like, I need, I need to, like, pain. Yeah, and the, the whole point 75 hard was restructuring. It was, was kind of like a dopamine detox where it was restructuring where is my dopamine coming from. And if my, dop- if my dopamine was only coming from the gym and eating food, then, like, I would want to go to, like, I used to have a problem with, like, nicotine, right, mm-hmm. and I would be hitting that all day, and that's a huge amount, like, we're, I, we're, I was talking with you about how much, like, actual nicotine is in these vape pens, right, oh, yeah. you were I, saying I that, calculated it, yeah. yeah, like, a hundred cigarettes, like, a, a vape pen, and so, like, that's such a huge synthetic level of dopamine, that you're not going to get that at the gym. You're not going to get that working on your business. You're only going to get that yeah. from synthetic sources. Someone said, this was funny. Someone said that an average bloke in a bar would get more dopamine listening to a girl play the piano 200 years ago or 100 years ago than you get from playing like 10 hours of video games today. Like they would get more dopamine yeah. from watching that versus what you get in 10 hours of playing video games. Um, yeah, absolutely, bro. And, and to, to comment on that, it's crazy. I've experimented with myself over the last like year. If you can restrict the dopamine from all the bad stuff, you genuinely get excited about the littlest things in life. And like, I'm, I've been on an uptrend in overall, like general mood, sentiment, happiness, contempt, and fulfillment for like the last year consistently. Like every single month is better than the last consistently, not starting at a bad place at all starting at a very good place and just constantly going up and up and up and up and up. I, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. I can't explain it. I'm like, just, it's just absolutely insane. And I think it's because I stopped getting dopamine from all these, from all these terrible places. Um, and, and for other reasons as well. But if you stop, then you'll start to get excited about little things like banana oatmeal. I tweeted about this, like no Nick, no drinking, no nothing. I go to bed genuinely excited to wake up tomorrow and eat banana oatmeal like 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 bro excited like really excited like in bed smiling about it and I was like why like why how can I be this excited about oatmeal in the morning and it's just because I get dopamine from the oatmeal and it's like I I just I I can't wait and I'm not getting it I'm not getting plentiful amounts from everything else so I just can't wait for that and it's it's funny like it's cool and you can program your brain to get that same excitement from working on your business working on your right. creative it, endeavor all that what you were saying it makes if you lack motivation to do something like start a business which is boring or read a book which is boring more boring than jerking off or right. like eating a you know whatever a cake piece of cake or or whatever Milk else shake yeah if if you stop all the bad stuff then all the boring stuff becomes a lot easier and more exciting and that's what everybody needs to do. It's a me- right? your meter. If yeah. your meter keeps popping up way the hell up here, when it's supposed to naturally come way down here, your brain's not going to really care about the stuff that yeah. it fully, it's going to go for that synthetic stuff. And that's why like people who do heroin, it's like imp- almost impossible to get off heroin because 
Talk about a dopamine spike. Can you even imagine what heroin's like? You want to find out? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I've never had a, never had even the slightest interest to do any of those hard drugs. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> never had even close. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, yeah, I, I, I've been the same way. I had an uh, ex- I had experience called depersonalization when I was 18 where uh, I smoked my first bong hit off of a, a weed bong. And for and I stopped, and then for the next three months, I I didn't understand anything. Like I wasn't smoking at all. I wasn't even drinking because I was 18. But like I remember, I would be say like that apartment we went to. I'd walk into that apartment, and it would feel like this is the only place that exists on the entire world, and we're just floating through the universe in this little space. Or like I'd see my parents, and I wouldn't. I literally would look at them, and I wouldn't understand who they were. I'd go to my girlfriend's place at the time and it would felt like I'd never been there before. And I learned later it was because of something called depersonification slash derealization. And um, going through that and my research from it, a lot of people experience that from drugs, like hard drugs. So after that experience, I decided I have no interest to ever ever try anything so that actually stopped me from trying so many things that i may be addicted to today because of that one bad experience and what's odd about it is it ended up being a bad mix between creatine and weed thc how weird is that hmm. off of a off chance conversation i had with someone at a library because he said it happened to him when he was on creatine i just had started creatine right before that happened interesting so that was a very negative experience super negative at the time earth shattering at the time like I was this close from going to my parents and being like I'm pretty sure I'm going schizophrenic and I need like actual psychiatric help because can you imagine if I did say that and I ended up getting put on like psychological pills how different my life would be right now probably wouldn't be here right now but literally it was just some guy at the um it was just some guy in the uh in the library and he I got paired with him for some project at school and he asked me if I smoke weed and I was like no and then something told me to be like because I wouldn't tell people about it. Someone told me to tell this random guy about it. I'm like, well, I used to. And then this weird thing has been happening to you. I'm not going to lie. Like, I feel like I'm going crazy. And he said, oh, that happened to me too. It's just because I was on creatine. And I'm like, no way did you just say that? Because I've been taking creatine for four months. Mm. How weird is that? Yeah. Weird stuff like that happens to you all the time. Yeah. It seems like. That is weird though. Yeah. I don't. I have no interest in them either, and I've uh, I I used to smoke a lot of weed, but I I stopped because I don't I don't like who I become when I'm high. Yeah, but that's not why I stopped, but I that's something that I really noticed. Yeah, I just had no interest. I just I was like, yeah, I'm done with this, like years ago. But it you change, I change at least. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's two people inside. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's multiple personalities inside, and I like taking drugs brings out that person. Or like if you take this drug, it'll t- bring out that person. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, it's, I guess sometimes maybe it's good to let those people out, but like it's bad to become that person. You know, I've seen so many people go down that route of just abusing drugs, especially in this world where like you're making money hand over fist. It's like very easy to start taking drugs. So why do you think our generation is like, n- like not so much doing like heroin and crystal meth and like it's only like coke and nicotine and that's a that's a great question maybe you think they're doing hard drugs maybe nancy reagan like actually stomped it into them with the dare program i think it's because they're a bunch of cowards oh yeah that could be true (laughs) (laughs) i think that's why because if you go to like 
someone in college now and you're like like someone that does like smokes her all the time or does like a lot of partying or a lot of drugs and be like do you want to do heroin they're gonna say no and it's like why because you're, you're probably a coward <laughs> and because needles honestly <laughs> I, they didn't care they didn't care 20 years ago <laughs> well i guess that no so i guess they didn't care i think aids really shut down a lot of the heroin use Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Because people share needles back then. How the hell did we get into talking about AIDS and heroin and sharing <laughs> needles? I don't know. This took a right turn. Tell me about after high school when you graduated. We went from family, <laughs> we went from family and children and cousins to the complete opposite. So anyway, when, did you go to college? For two weeks. Two weeks? And then I dropped out. Immediately. I didn't even go to a class. Not even one? Mm -mm. So how'd you know it wasn't for you if you didn't go to one class? <clears throat> well... Um, I discovered Graham at the time and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I you discovered what? Graham Stephan. Oh, nice. Okay. So the, the original reason I wanted to go to college is because I wanted to make a lot of money because it was ingrained in my brain since I was a kid. So I was going to go to become a doctor or a, neuro, um, a neurologist or a neurosurgeon or a cardiologist or something like that. And that's where I started. And then I was like, I'm going to become like a physician's assistant, but I'm going to do nursing first. So nice. that's where college came from. So I'm going to, I had that path laid out. Um, and then I discovered Graham Stephan right before I went to college and he gave me this, he was like, you can buy properties, rent them out, save the money, buy more properties, rent them out, save the money, snowball. And then you just get money every month for free. You don't have to do anything. I'm like, why doesn't everybody just do that? <laughs> why don't I just do that instead of go to school and like work all the time? And so I was like, I'm going to go to real estate school. And that's when I dropped out of college. And my mom didn't have much to say because I was paying for it anyway. So she's like, you're going to have to pay for your own college. How were you paying for it at the time? I was just going to have to get loans. Oh, really? I got FAFSA, like government aid and like scholarships for whatever. And then I was just going to get loans for everything else. And wow. my mom couldn't afford it. So how did you get, like, did you have a job at the time? Yeah, I was working at the car wash. Working at the car wash. How are you, did you have like a good credit? No. So these are like pr probably high. I was going to have to get student loans. Yeah. Oh, you use the student loans for I the real estate. I didn't, but I was going to have to. Wait, you're asking how did I pay for real estate? Yeah. Real estate was like 900 bucks. Not 900. No, I mean like when you started doing the actual real estate, because you went and bought a townhouse, right? Oh, how did I get money to buy real estate and invest in real estate? Yeah. That came way later. Oh. So my idea was the reason I went to real estate school was I was going to become a real estate agent, sell homes and save my commissions and then buy properties. Gotcha. That's what I was going to do. So that's why I went to real estate school to become a, to become an agent. So then I did, I dropped out of college and went to real estate school. And then in the meantime, I was like, how am I, how, how am I make money in the meantime? And then I was like, that's when I found dropshipping. That's funny that. because yeah. when I went to California to be an Uber driver, right? My plan was to get there and go to Keller Williams real estate school and get my realtor license, mm. become a realtor. And then start buying and renting out yeah. Los Angeles real estate. Mm -hmm. And then while I was out there, I discovered drop shipping. And then I just started drop shipping. Yeah. So yet Similar another again. thing. I wonder how many we have. Yeah. So yeah, so I dropped out of college and, and then I just pursued I went down this path and then So you funneled <laughs> you you funneled your profits from drop shipping into the townhouse, right? So yeah, I, I funneled my Profits from dropshipping. Well, I was doing a lot of things. So I started dropshipping and then I started like other brands and then I started my YouTube channel and then I started doing affiliate stuff and all that money I had accumulated over time. I, I saved up and I put into the townhouse, but it really wasn't too much. Like out of my bank account, the townhouse was like, I don't know, like 60, 70 grand out of my bank account. 
Yeah. So was that twenty percent? No. I bought it with fifteen percent down. Gotcha. Yeah, because I bought it as a residential house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this new house I'm building is twenty percent down. Gotcha. Because it's a spec home. Yeah, and this new house is going to be dope. We were at the property yesterday, private ass community. Did you did you see the renderings of it ever? Yeah, no, okay. you showed me the renderings. You, I think you had it. You showed me them somewhere. I think it might have been on your phone, but I know you have a printout of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hanging up somewhere. Yeah. So you went and you hired Fernando, the architect, <laughs> to design it all. And this has been in the works for like a year, two years now, right? Almost two years, a year and a half, yeah, almost two years. Almost two years. And then it's going to take about another year to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And then like you were saying, it's like you've been working on this art piece, putting the pieces together, finding the people to develop this art. And then once the art's finished, you go into it. Or you might sell it. Who knows? Yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's really cool if you have a creative mind. I don't know why I'm so like drawn to real estate, but it's so it's so it's so cool to like see like physical stuff and be overwhelmed by it and then be like, oh, it would be cool if you changed it like this or made it like this. And when you get to that level where you can kind of develop your own property properties or projects, you can do that. And, you know, there's so many people on the earth. So like I was telling you this yesterday. So like somebody is bound to come around and appreciate it the way that you do or even more and, and buy it and pay you millions of bucks for it. So it's like, right. Because this is no Joe Schmo common suburban house. This is like very like unique. Double gated community. Double gated community. <laughs> I can't so many. Yeah. Security guards. I'll give you a speeding ticket that <laughs> yeah. doesn't isn't recognized by un, the United States law. Just the local community. They have their own. Yeah. They got, uh, they, it's just amazing. And it's just like, you're, how much is it? You said it's going to cost 1.25 million to build. And you got the land for a deal at 150,000. 120. Yeah. 120. What? But you had to pay taxes, right? Like on the, do you pay taxes on land buys? Property taxes? Not on land buys. No, you just buy the land and then you pay property taxes. But when you buy a house, like you pay sales tax. Like I'm saying, is there sales tax on land? No. Maybe when you, no, 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 no. There's only property tax. That's the only tax you pay for owning the land. Okay. But if you bought a house out here, would you pay, you pay sales tax on that, right? You pay property tax on your house. I mean like the actual purchasing of the home. No, I don't, I don't think you pay sales tax. Okay. Cause in California you pay 10% sales tax on a home. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> that you pay sales tax when you sell a home. I think you pay the title company, the broker, the real estate agents, and then whatever. And then like I don't think the government gets too involved in that. Okay. That, maybe that's an Arizona thing. Then. It's a, pro- a property tax. Because yeah. for sure in California, when you buy a home, you're paying 10%. California, additional. dude, is criminal to its citizens. They're, what they're doing is they're taking advantage of the fact that they own some of the most beautiful land in the world, especially in the coastland. Yeah, but what about all the people that live inland and have the same laws apply to them? I feel sorry for them, but... You guys got to get closer to the beach. I'm telling you, you got to go to where it's happening. Million dollars for like 700 square feet. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could become a renter. Which we get, we were like, you're. I love that video you made about assets and like, because I read Rich Dad Poor Dad finally actually like six months ago. I wish I would have read it a long time ago, but you said that poor people keep. How, how did you phrase it? Um, In terms of leasing. Leasing? You're like poor people, poor people allow the rich people, the, like poor people will pay the rich people's tabs. 
Uh, yeah, with asset when we were in the truck yesterday. I know when we were at first video. watch today. Okay, um, I was saying that, or like with assets, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the assets generate money, and poor people pay to keep the assets running. That's right. And that gives the assets value, and then the rich people own the assets. Right. And so if you own the assets, they grow in value over time because the poor people keep them running. Yeah. So like businesses or whatever, like, yeah, homes. And it grocery. seems like you realize that at a really young age. When most Some people go their whole life without realizing it. Yeah, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was like 19 in high school. Would you say that had a lot to do with... Game changer. Oh, bro. my gosh. Game changer. Because it's like, it makes sense. It's so simple, but it makes sense. But yeah, game changer. Yeah, got me I, in the right frame of mind, for sure. If I could go back, I would have read that like way earlier. That's a pretty fundamental book, and it's super easy to read. That should be required reading... In high school. In yeah. high school, instead of Fahrenheit 451, <laughs> or The Giver. I didn't learn much from The Giver. Yeah. I learned a hell of a lot from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. They, they don't want people to teach. They, they don't want you to become financially free, though. So why would yeah. they teach it in schools? They want to keep everyone poor. Right. Right. And how outdated are schools now anyway? That's yeah. why we have to create our own. Did I tell you about that? I'm going to create my own school. Yeah, you did tell me about that. Yeah. All my, my wives... My wife is going to be a teacher there. All my family members, aunts, uncles, cousins, and like friends that I trust. I will know every single teacher in there and what they're teaching. And um, the classes will not be anything like the classes in school today. Mm -hmm. It will be its own thing. And we will breed a generation of superhumans that will like lead the world. What do you hope to that your, what do you hope for your children? Um, that they accomplish amazing things, that they accomplish things that are way beyond them whatever it is, no matter what it is, that's all I care about. I don't care what they do, but if he wants to be a swimmer, I expect him to be one of the best on the planet. If he wants to play violin, I want him to produce symphonies for whatever. You know, I just want it to be great. I want them to be great. Um, but I want them to do whatever they want to do. That makes them happy and fulfills them. I want them to have families and have kids. Makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, I just, I want them to live a life of, of adventure and progression yeah. and substance. Not to just sit around. I'd say that's a good wish to have for sure. That's right? pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. That's all I want. And I feel like having your own school would definitely set the foundation up for them to be able to accomplish that. Because belief in, belief in oneself, I'd say, is the most important thing exactly. of everything. And that's so, one like, of the things we'll teach, yeah. to customize that at in the school. Because what's, uh, what's the teaching method where they basically just throw a bunch of kids in a room and then the teachers pay attention to what they naturally gravitate to and then tailor the... The education towards that. Idea. You haven't heard of that? It's like really expensive, like schooling, but it's a really interesting way. Yeah. So I'm wondering back to your story. I know you basically went from drop shipping to real estate. And while you're doing the real estate, you're still drop shipping. I remember that. But then was it the 2020 crash that got you into like crypto? Yeah. Yeah. So I was always playing around with crypto, but like it was like five, ten thousand $10,000 type stuff. And then 2020 happened and then it was like, yeah, like multiple six figure stuff, investments and stuff in crypto. I made some really good money during crypto. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what got me in there. And then I've been always really good at calling the top. So I've, I've exited the top both times almost perfectly. I'm almost completely out of everything. I don't like hold for the long term. Like I buy in, wait for it to get really high sell. And then I exit when I think it's over. That's usually my style. So I will, um, in terms of crypto, we're going to have, if you're watching this right now, like you need to get money as fast as possible because 
we're, we're going down. It, we had a recent pump to like 21,000, but it's going down. And it will be going down for the next two, probably two years, unless something crazy happens. But we're, we're in a bear market. But there will be another bull market. And Bitcoin will go to 100,000 in the next bull run. And it is your job watching this. If you want to get, if you really, really want to get to the next level, like 10x your, your net worth, is to put as much money as you possibly can into that market. And like over the next, starting in like six to eight months for the next like 12 months like dollar cost averaging right. for the next 12 months, starting in like a little bit less than a year. If you do that and then just don't think about it, you'll 10 extra net worth Yeah, for sure. And I will do that. And it's going to take me from multimillionaire to like the next level. Yeah. Like millions and millions and millions of dollars. As long as Tether holds up, am I right? <laughs> as long, Tether yeah. goes down, oh, it all goes. <laughs> well, USDC, USDC, bro. Yeah. Get it in there. But yeah, that's going to take us, that will 10x my, it will 10x everybody's net worth. Yeah. So my net worth now will 10x whatever so it is. And was did so you quit YouTube for like seven months. Was that during the 2020 crash? I can't remember exactly when you stopped uploading. No, it was before. Um, it was a little bit. I took. I started. I I slowed down way like way with my content right before COVID. 2020 virus, and then during the virus, I didn't post anything. We, p- we probably just got a disclaimer now popping up on my my video for using the word Back COVID. Check. Yeah, this is in this is whatever they're saying is incorrect. So what uh what made you stop YouTube? I just I felt like I always had to outdo myself and I always had to like be better than my last video. So like for example, like I posted a video how I made thirty six k in a day and it did really well, and then like I'd post more videos and stuff. But let's say I posted another video like a month from then and I made $10,000 that day, which is still amazing to make $10,000 in a day. That's a lot of money. But people watching be like, well, yeah, but you made 36 K in a day. Mm-hmm. So it's like making 10 grand is not anything if you've made 36 grand. And it's like, I felt a lot of pressure to always outdo myself. And it was an extreme amount of a pressure to like have to succeed. And I think it was preventing me from succeeding. So I quit and I felt a lack of privacy. I felt like everybody knew everything about me and I just wanted Nobody to look at me and nobody to pay attention to me. I just wanted complete privacy. And so that's when you started your agency? And I quit YouTube and started my agency. Yeah. Yeah. That was so cool when you came back and you're like, guys, I have a real business now. Like, this isn't YouTube channel. This is beyond my YouTube channel. Yeah. This is not drop business. It's not like this is a real functioning business. Um, I have serious customers that make millions of dollars. I have customers that have paid me like $50,000 for my product. Legit. What was it like getting that first client? Well, because I'm, I'm assuming you leveraged. It was your for my friend. It was for Brandon Priest, actually. Oh, what? Yeah. What was so he doing? I, he was selling a product, and I just ran his Google ads. Nice. And then I started doing it for a bunch of people that were in my network, and then I started talking about it more publicly, and then yeah. Yeah, that was such a smart idea, going with just Google ads. You're yeah. not trying to go for all, just Google ads. Yeah, because it's easy. Because it's like, well, I need Google ads for my store. Uh, sub. Yeah, and so many people don't, like, just, they just overlook Google Ads. Absolutely. And it's so powerful. Yeah, and you need it now more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the agency started popping off. What made you choose to come back to YouTube? Because, bro, YouTube is just such a fruitful, fruitful thing. Like, it's like a seed that you plant that provides endless fruit. Like, yeah. the people you meet through it, yeah. um, the money you make through it, it's so profitable. There's no overhead and like I could just switch my content. I don't have to be like how I made this much money every single video. Like I can just make different content. And that's what I started to transition into. 
So I started talking about NFTs. I started interviewing people. I started talking about studies on my channel. I started doing motivation. I'm going to do fitness stuff now. So now it's more about like, just like putting myself out there and like being like, this is kind of what I'm getting into. Um, you know, I'm not always trying to outdo myself, but just kind of being a light on in the on the internet, mm -hmm. just trying to be like a source of light, a source of positivity, um, a role model for people that don't have one. Like try to be like, you know, someone with good intentions that you can look up to. Um, yeah. And then just make disgusting amounts of money while doing all that. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, no, I call it like magnetic networking. Like when you have a YouTube channel, generally the people come to you. So many people I've met just because I have a YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, and everybody wants to be friends with YouTubers. Yeah. So it's like I've never had to go out there. And it makes making connections way easier. Like oh. I want to talk to your CEO, like uh, who are you? Be like, well, my name's Sebastian. I actually have a YouTube channel. We have like over half a million subscribers. We post finance content. You should go check it out. It's really interesting. And they're already typing the name on the phone call. And then they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Like you can help, you can help us. I'm like, yeah, I think I can help you guys. Can I talk to your CEO? Yeah. Yeah. And then an hour later he calls me like yeah. that actually happened, but it's like, yeah, it sounded very specific. You leverage, you leverage the channel and it, and it, it helps you a lot. So when was the first time that you even heard the word NFT? Uh, when like Logan Paul and Gary V were talking about it in COVID during COVID. Do you remember like what month this was or what month of what year? 2021, early 2021. Like March, was it cold or warm out? What did I do for my 21st, 22nd birthday? I don't remember. Uh, was I in my, no, that was Miami was before. I, I heard it lingering around in like March-ish mm -hmm. probably, February, March. And then like started to really get into it during summer. Yeah. I have a weird story with NFT. So this, this will never like this will, this showed me such a crazy example. I would say in like being an open ear to everybody. Cause someone the other day was talking about how the majority, like there's so many people that they can't offer you anything like, whether it's advice or like, first of all, I'll make clear, everybody can offer you something, whether that's what you should do or what you shouldn't do. Everybody is superior to you in some way. And every, and in, in some way you just got to find inferior, Yeah. What? And inferior and inferior, you. but everyone is at least superior to you in one way. Mm -hmm. Like it could be the smallest thing. Like they might know more about dolphins than you, you know, it could be literally that, but I was kind of like, um, I would say naive to that fact back then. And I remember I went with Luca to uh, Colorado in January, 2021, like the 10th of January. And I remember I, I met this girl who I've known for nine years, but I hadn't met her in person. And while we're out there, cause she's big and she's like into the art community a lot. And she was like, this is crazy right here. Have you heard of this before? It's called NFTs. I go, no, what is it? And she goes, it's like they put their artwork on like the blockchain and it allows you to buy that artwork's ownership through the blockchain. She said something like that. She's like, yeah, my friend just sold his painting for like 360,000. My friends are selling like their art for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I heard that and I just didn't even think anything of it because I was like, well, what is, she doesn't do crypto. What does she know? Yeah. And I just overlooked it. And I'm like, I always think back about... <laughs> 
how like if I would have just taken that with like a neutral tone, be like, maybe I should look into this. Yeah. Because that's the same month that Gary Vee discovered NFTs, January 2021. So like it's uh it's really uh shown me like always keep an open ear. Even if it's coming from someone that you don't think knows any better, it's like you'd be surprised. So my friend Brandon, he called me and he was like, yeah, I'm going to drop an NFT collection. I was like, what are you up to? You know, he had an agency. He's like, yeah, I'm going to drop an NFT collection. I'm like, I'm like okay. <laughs> like, I was like, cool. And then I saw him post about it on Snapchat, like the development and stuff. And then I was thinking about it because I started hearing about NFTs a lot. This was like more towards summer. And I was like, they'll, they're not going to sell out. They'll probably make like 15 grand or 20 grand or something that day and i was curious and i was like hey like let me know how it goes and, and then i saw on his story sold out in 17 million uh 17 minutes 1.4 million wow and then i called him i'm like i'm like you guys what you guys sold out he's like yeah i'm like so how much did you make and he's like 1.4 million today or like in 17 minutes and i'm like i'm like what <laughs> i'm like bro what hold on back i was like back up what do wow. you mean you sold out that fast and then like that, that started everything. So that was like, was he, did he launch the project in like April? Uh, it must have been, I don't remember, bro, honestly. Okay. It'd so. be just an, a random guess. But just to going off what you're saying, yeah, like I didn't take him seriously. I should have. Yeah. But I bet you did after that. After that, I, I drove over to his house and I was like, tell me what you're doing. Wow. <laughs> and then not even a month later, I interviewed Brett and then that video has over a million views now about NFTs. Wow. So, yeah. Wait, so did you did you know Brett before? Like, how did you meet Brett? I met him for the first time at dinner with Brandon. He introduced me. Brandon and Brett went to high school together. Oh, and okay. He introduced me to Brett. Very smart guy. And then Brett, I interviewed Brett because he was making like 50K a week trading him. And I was like, tell me how you're doing this. Wait, so Brandon went to school with Brett. Uh -huh. They're both from Kansas City? Mm -hmm. I didn't know Brett was from Kansas City, too. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. everyone is, <laughs> apparently. Apparently. It's such a small world. Yeah, why Kansas City? Kansas City right now, it's like a big tech hub okay. for sure. It's like the tech hub of the Midwest. Mm. Well, uh, they grew up there, so. Right. So they know. just, they're kind of in like the culture, I would say, um, of innovation. So they probably had innovation like programmed into their head to mm. be open to that type of stuff. Because I, the same thing, I would like snicker at like NFTs. And then it was really interesting to see how things went down because when the shit coins started blowing up, those profits just rolled right over in NFTs, it, it felt like. And then that, like the summer of 2021 to like the end of 2021, I'll do that. We'll be telling our grandchildren about that because that is such a weird time in history where like, you know, celebrities are changing their profile pictures to the board apes and yeah. stuff, cartoons. And people think that they're doing it just because they're part of the community when really they're getting handed like $400,000 behind in cash plus yeah. the board ape and all that stuff. Absolutely. Very, very interesting time. Yeah, that from twenty from twenty twenty even until now have just been like outlandish. Years. I feel like it, we've we like entered a different dimension in a way, or a, a different like timeline. That's a good way to put it. I feel like we've been in a different timeline since March for eighteenth, twenty twenty. Yeah, because that's when I like I left Los Angeles and all, and so like it was so obstructive and, and intrusive to everybody's like plans 
that they had for themselves. Like every person I meet, they'd be like, well, I was going to do this, but then COVID happened and that mm. sent me this direction. So it just course corrected everyone. Yeah. Course corrected everybody. And it made everybody more aware of how, like how fragile life it really is. Cause I, were you scared of the virus right when it, when it popped in? Um, yeah. Like I, when I started hearing about it, what, like, when did you start hearing about it? Like December in China. Of 19. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like November, December. I was kind of worried about it. I saw videos of like them wearing those suits and like building hospitals and stuff. And I was like, hmm, like this is kind of, you know, a little bit freaky. Like I was living at the townhouse with my girlfriend. And I was like hearing about it. And I, I thought that it would come here. And then I remember seeing the first case in like ASU. And I started like, I don't know. I wasn't scared, but like I never wore gloves. I never wore a mask because I thought it was going to protect me. In fact, like when it got to America and it started becoming a problem in America, I looked it up and those surgical masks don't actually stop the, the spreading yeah. of COVID at all. So I'm like, why am I going to wear this? And yeah. people are like, just wear it. Like you're supposed to wear it. I'm like, Not it funny. doesn't do anything. Like, why am I wearing it? Like at least make me wear the right mask. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So the reason that they didn't promote the correct mask that actually stops the spread of the virus is because those are expensive because I got into that industry for like a couple months, like, PPE supplies and stuff. I was trying to broker deals. Everybody was. And the actual correct masks are like 10 times as expensive to produce and sell. So like to, to the people that are manufacturing all this masks, if COVID was like a huge psyops and a huge plan, which maybe it was, I don't know. But why would they sell the more expensive stuff and decrease their profit margin? Yeah. Well, so on the whole COVID thing, like from the beginning, I like to say... You know, I started just, I hate when things are built on a lie. And I'll never forget Fauci saying, the masks, you don't need them. They don't work. It's not an airborne virus. And then once they collected enough N95s for like the medical community, then they're like, no, you need to wear a mask. And so like from the very beginning to lie about something like that, yeah. I'm not trusting anything yeah. like, from anybody anymore. Because if you're going to lie about it right now, you're going to lie about other, other stuff too. Yeah, and even though his motive was like to secure enough for the medical community, it's still a lie showing that this guy is willing to lie. So why the fuck am I going to assume now he's going to be telling the truth? Yeah. You know? I wasn't worried about it. I And then the as time went on, I got more and more fed up and annoyed with it. Mm -hmm. And then I got COVID and I just went through it. And I was like, okay, this is a sickness and it is a little bit worse than the flu, but it's like nothing that what they make it out to be. Yeah. I'm not even close. So did you lose like your taste or anything? Like three days. You know. It's weird. Some people have never gotten it back. Yeah. My Cade, my assistant never did. Still not. Yeah. But like he tastes stuff, but like it's just dull. And how long has that been? Uh, probably like six months at least. Man, 10 months, whatever they're whipping up in that Wuhan lab, yeah, fuck the world up for sure. That That's definitely not natural, huh? It's definitely not natural. It's clear it's not natural, but you know, I don't want to get this podcast banned from the fucking you internet. You think they'll take it down if we nah, talk about nah, it? Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> but like you, we'd have to say something worse. Like, um, well, what can we say to get this podcast <laughs> taken not, down? Let's not think about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one. So, so what are you working on right now? Um, Agency, I've really put a lot of effort and time into growing my YouTube channel, into working on that. My real estate project is starting in two days. So just those three things. How come you never launched an NFT project of your own? Because I have enough on my plate to deal with. And I could launch an NFT project and make $2 million, but what difference does $2 million make in my life right now? Like, it's a good chunk of money, but 
it's not life-changing for me. So I didn't want to add another variable into the daily, you know, mixture of things I have to deal with and stress about because I'm already really stressed and I already have a lot on my plate and I already barely managed to do everything that I do. So I cannot add another company, another business with 10,000 people looking at me and relying on me, uh, you know, because the floor price floor price dropped 5% and being like, Sebastian, what's going on? Like, I just can't handle that stress. Yeah. So I was like, no, I'm not down. Yeah. Maybe a, a massive waste, a massive missed opportunity, but. No, I, protecting the energy is everything. I think people are so blinded by money that they forget about how energies needs to be protected. And like you had the, you had the foresight to know that going into this would distract you from this, this, and this. And like, I'd say a lot of times, like I would be trying to do so many things that it would distract, like I wouldn't be able to do anything, like give it my all because I'm giving my all to so many things. Yeah. I also th- knew that they were like all going to go to zero. Mm-hmm. Like I knew it was a giant trend and it was a great opportunity to make money and it was a gamble. And if you were in it and you understood it, you could make a lot of money. But in a year or two years from now, everything that we're dabbling in is all going to be very, very close to zero. Yeah. What do you think of the current state of NFTs right now is? Well, they're, they're low, like everything, the whole market's bad, but the technology is here to stay forever. I meant like culturally in terms of like perception from the public, because I just saw six, nine try to launch his NFT Guinea. And I think they wanted to sell six. Nine six nine of them, so six thousand nine hundred ninety six or whatever. And did you hear how many they sold? No, like two hundred thirty. I, I that's insane. And then same with like forty million Instagram. So it, I I I definitely feel, especially with the crash on top of that, I feel the dis the people starting to sway away. Nobody cares about the NFTs. Like they say, they care about the technology. Nobody cares about the technology. Yeah, the technology is revolutionary. Mm-hmm. They don't care about that. The only thing that people care about in life is making money. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's a very like, I will put you down to, to like to win. Like it's a very aggressive and every man for himself community. And I don't like NFT culture. I don't like the people in the NFT culture. I don't because it's a bunch of like kids that have no experience, no business experience. Um, and they're very sensitive and they get upset very quick. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if something goes down, like immediately like call them out, like, oh, you're a rugger, you're a scammer. Like, it's just a very um, abrasive and, and like ignorant culture, in yeah. my opinion. And, and they pretend to be like, oh, NFT culture, like we're so positive, we're so happy, they pretend that. In reality, as soon as the money stops coming in, they, they're like dogs, wild dogs biting each other again. So yeah. I don't like that, it's all fake. That's but, Charlie Munger. I think it was Charlie Munger. He said that NFTs are solely based on the greater fools theory. Yes. Yeah. The greater fool. Some, that's the only reason you're buying it. You don't believe in the project. You don't believe right. in anything. The only reason you're buying it is because you think that you're going to sell it and make money on it. Mm-hmm. That's uh, unless it's like one of the rare ones where you're buying it for the actual like community, which those are just so few and far in between. Yeah. But like, like in terms of like, for example, board ape and going to like ape fest and all that. Yeah. And they're like one of the only projects. There's probably like 10 or 15 projects that are like pretty, pretty good projects here to stay. But even, even them at the end of the day, like if the hype dies down, who cares about board apes? Yeah. Who cares? Right. Who cares about, would you rather have a board ape or a house? Right. At the end of the day. I'd rather have a gun. Yeah. At the end of the day, what would you rather have a board ape or a car? A gun and a house. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for those people who are like, I don't know if you saw like on Instagram, it'll be like 
this guy sold his Lamborghini and traded it for a board ape. It's like, oh yeah. man, where's how's that guy feeling right now? All the people in the board ape community hold the board apes and they only keep them because they believe they're going to sell them one day and make more money or they're going to be worth more money one day. Do you think they've all peaked or do you think no, another no. big run's going to yeah, come? Another big run will come for sure. The board apes will go higher, even higher. Like I said, I think NFT culture, I think NFTs are here to stay, the technology. And they're out of like the thousands and thousands of cartoon profile picture projects that have been launched. There will be like five to 10 that stick. Like, and there will be more that pop up in the future. But, and Board Apes is like leading that. And they're one of the main ones. And I yeah. think they'll be here to stay. And I think, I think that they will, they will see an all-time high, a new all-time high. I'll say Pudgy Penguins also, I believe in for sure, just because the leadership behind it. Luca. Shout out Luca. Yep. Yeah, what he's... Those the I've only been to one event, but that event was bad at, to the fucking bone. Okay. I love that shit. I never seen someone from Japan wah, 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 on the ping pong table like that. It was unbelievable. Hmm. But um, no, just just in terms of leadership, I think he, he's the, that's the only NFT I hold right now. Just some some fucking pudgy penguins, just for the long haul. Because who knows with what he's done with other brands? I think he, and applying it to an NFT, I'm really excited to see what the future of that is. He's uh, he's a smart guy. Yeah. You met him before, right? Mm -hmm. We snowboarded, remember? Oh my gosh, that's yeah. right. Oh. That's right. Yeah, we spent a lot of time together. He's funny. Yeah. There's that $3,000 a month AC <laughs> bill popping on right now. Um, yeah, so what do, you, what do you want to tell the people right now? What do you want to leave them with this? Go subscribe to my YouTube channel. <laughs> Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. I mean, Help me get to half a million. In terms of like, um, in terms of like a broad stroke over what most, what do you feel most people need to hear? Like, what's your guiding principle in life that helped you or help you every day? Those are two different answers. So, what most people need to hear and what helps me every day in my life? Yeah, let's hear them both. Okay, what most people need to hear. Um, I think that most people are very, very capable of accomplishing everything that they dream of and so much more. I think that if you believe in yourself to the absolute maximum extent, then you can do a lot of really, really cool things. And I think that you should. I don't think that you should sit around and waste your life. I think that you should experience as many things as possible. I think that if you have a dream and it sounds crazy, you should go for it because you'll always live with that regret if you don't. Like the 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 pain of regret is so much greater than the the alternative if if you do something and it doesn't work out or like it, you do something and you learn that oh this is actually not for me. Like the regret of never knowing or never doing it is so much worse. And I say that because I'm genuinely so happy right now and so okay and proud of where I've come and like with my life and it's because of that and it's because like I'm doing things it's always new experiences like I'm doing crazy stuff and and people are looking at me and they're proud of me and I'm looking at me and I'm proud of me and it just feels me to keep going and it's such a cool movie it's like a show that's just on play right now and it's so fun like it's so dope and I think everyone's capable of it like I don't think I have a, I don't have a genius IQ or anything like that um I don't, I don't, I don't know if you do or not. I never taken an IQ test. But yeah, and so it's it's possible. Like you just have to work hard and, and genuinely believe it. And I think you should because life is so much better on this side. Yeah. It really is. So I think everyone should hear that. Like, 
do it. Like, it's so worth it. Like, go for it. Whatever it is you want to do. Um, and just just do it, bro. Like, <laughs> you can accomplish it, anything it. with belief. Yeah. That's where it all starts. Without belief, it won't happen. There's yeah. no way. I think people need to hear that for sure. And also get in the best shape of your life because it feels incredible. Yeah. It feels incredible. Um, and then what keeps me going throughout the day? Like, is that the question? I'd say what keeps you going throughout the day and then also what keeps you going like right now, since I guess technically you could find a way to never work again, just stop everything right now. Sell the agency, you know, put everything in like a 8%, whatever return, buy a house and all cash. I keep going because it's just all I've known. That's just what I do. It's just one one foot in front of the other. That's just what we have to do. It's not like I, I look up every day and there's one source of motivation. I'm like, and I have to go cultivate it and like tune into it and like get my fuel from it. There's nothing like that. It's just like discipline and, and habit to just keep going one foot in front of the other every single day. And I would say that now because of the girl that I'm serious about, she's, she's like, um, like a spice to that a little bit, like added on top because I see a future with her. That's like I was telling you. So like now I'm, I'm going because it's habit, but I'm also going because I see a future. I see a fa- I see my family around the corner. Like I see a family coming in the next five years for me. So now I really have to work and be responsible and get as much bread and get and like make create um, a sanctuary and like a safe place and do all that. But yeah, discipline and habit. And now because of the girl, the future of my family. Yeah, life changes when you're doing stuff like outside of just for you. It becomes bigger than you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I, I almost got, got a dog once, and even that <laughs> even that was like, I got to be better for this dog and all that <laughs> stuff. Like, I can't imagine what it's going to feel like for my children. For your kids, yeah. That look at you like you're wife. a superhero. Yeah. For a wife that looks at you like when everything hits the fan and she doesn't know what to do, all eyes are on you. What do mm-hmm. you do? Like, right. Not run. That's I sure. love it. Like, I, I can't wait to experience that. It sounds amazing. Back against the wall. Like, that's when, like, the real you comes out. Like, let's see what you're made of, you know? All right. Yeah. I've always felt like I perform best under the most amount of pressure possible. Yeah. Like, when something has to be done in, like, two days and I was supposed to start it three months ago, I'll yeah. finish that fucker in two days. And it'll be <laughs> great. I, yeah, I'm, I'm similar. And I have, a, I have a story. I won't get into it because I think you're trying to wrap up. But No, I, no, get into it because I'll, I'll combat it with a story. Okay. I, um... So I was I was doing my house and trying to get a loan for it and I started this before all the 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 rates increased so my rate on my loan is very good and it's a large loan so this makes a big difference and I um I basically was going back and forth with the city and getting them to approve my plans and I can't get a loan locked in until I have approved plans by the city um and by the HOA and so we got to the point where I had 14 days left to close on my loan and I got approval from the city, but there was one typo or correction that had to be done uh, on the plans and I had to resubmit it. And every cycle to the city is a 21 day cycle. It goes through one girl, then they submit it to the engineer, then they submit it to like this person, they both stamp it, send it to one more person that reviews it, and then they send it back to me. So it would have had to go through two more cycles, 42 days, um, in order to, for me to get the final, final approval on my plans. Eesh. And I had 15 days to lock my rate at three and a half percent. Otherwise it would have been 6%. And that's a huge difference. Definitely. So I needed to like, I was like, I went into the city and I 
like I was like, hi, I need to talk to someone. Jessica, your name's Jessica. Hi, Jessica, I'm Sebastian. I, you're going to help me. Like I have two days to do this. Like I have until the weekend, like I have to get this done. So I was like, explain to me the entire process of how this works. I submit it to you. You look at it and then you send it to this person and then this person sends it to this person and then this person sends it to this person, right? And she's like, yes, that's how it's going to happen. I'm like, okay, here's the corrected version of this. I'm giving it to you now. Okay, give me the cards of everybody that you're going to, that's through this process. And I call all of them. I introduce myself. Hi, my name's Sebastian. I'm 23 years old. I'm building a property for the first time in my life. I don't know what I'm doing. And if I don't get this final plan approved in the next like three days, I'm going to lose my rate hike and I might even lose my loan and I might have to wait until next year and I might have to do my taxes again for next year in accordance to get this loan. And it's literally going to completely ruin my life and my plans for the last two years. Like I said that to all of them on the phone and I was like, I need you, desperately need you to help me. I'll buy you your favorite chocolates. I'll bring you a bottle of your favorite liquor. I need you to look at this plan as soon as you possibly can, stamp it and send it to the next person. And I did that and I got everything done in two days when, wow. it have, when it should have been a month and 10 days. Wow. And then I sent it all back to the bank and got everything done. So Damn. it was like that pressure. Otherwise I wouldn't have done that. So, and it worked. Yeah. And now we, we got, we got locked in and funded and everything's good. Yeah. So many people would not have even attempted that. They would you gotta just, do what you gotta do, bro. <laughs> just been pissed in their house with the fist up, you know, I was pissed, but I, I, I channeled it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would say mine would be like, uh, when I was moving to Los Angeles, I don't even know, maybe the third time I had to develop like the 3.0 version or the 2.0 version of my simplified dropshipping course. And like, I was moving the next day, or I, I was doing like seven hour days. I'd work on it for about seven, 10 hours, but that last day I was moving the next day. So I had to crank it out. And I remember I started at like 10 AM and I finished it finally around like 9 PM. So like 13 hours, but like, I was so locked in. I think I might have told this story on another podcast, or maybe I might. I don't, I don't think I've told you this, but I was so locked in and so going off the walls because I wasn't eating anything at all that I decided I didn't even want to take time to go out and take a piss. So I just kept pissing in this gallon water bottle in the corner and then opening the window and then dumping it out onto the rocks. Sorry, Jesse. That was the house I was living in. But, uh, yeah, it was just like I feel like because I had – like a month to finish it. And then I chose like the last like four days to just crank it out. And then I just got locked in, losing track of time, just ba 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 ba, finished it and then moved to LA the next day. Yeah. When you gotta get something done, you figure out a way to do it. Yeah, so. that's very true. They, uh, I forget what principle that is, but it's basically saying like, if you give a group of people two weeks to do a project, they'll take two weeks. But if you give them two days, they'll finish it in two days. Yeah. They'll find that's why a way. Elon Musk's uh, puts like ridiculous deadlines on all of his. Yeah. And he problems. never hits them. Yeah. Almost but, never hits them. Yeah, exactly. But he still moves way faster than he would have. Yeah. So. Very true. All right. I think this is a good place to wrap it up. I'm so glad to be out here in Arizona. Yeah. First fucking timer. Let's go to Sedona, man. Let's go get some ice cream. Yeah, let's go. We're going straight to Sedona right from here. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, Sebastian. Of course. Thank you. Oh, very good.